You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 2212 South Broad Street. For more information, visit us at circleofhope.church. I do want to talk about the Exodus. Um, so, this... Um, I would argue that this this story is like the most central story. Hey, guys. This is the most central story in the first half of the Bible, I think, for how it directly points to Jesus. And like Sony said so beautifully, like, it's, um, it's not, it, it's, it, it involves the Hebrew people, but it's not like they are the only people that God cares about. They are really... They're acting as an example to us. They were special in and of themselves, but they're acting th- as an example to us of what God, what Jesus is extending to the whole world. Um, this invitation to freedom. So this is the story of the Exodus from Egypt, how God made a way for people to be miraculously pulled out of slavery and into slavery and oppression and into the freedom that is now promised to all of humanity. And it's a story with huge hopeful hopeful implications for all the world today. Um, So huge, like I said, that I struggled to cram cram the the meaning, like the the profound meaning into this story into 15 minutes. So I'm going to pray for us. I want to pray for us again here that we... um, that the Spirit would speak to you and to us a bit. Like, take this in any direction that each of us need to hear it in tonight, even beyond my words. Um, so let's pray again. Jesus, thank you for time together um, to breathe, like that song was saying, um, to have some space to consider who you are and uh, what you have for us, even maybe beyond what we have considered before, and, and what you are inviting us into through one another, um, how we're so connected to you and to each other. Pray that um, your spirit would show us um, something new here tonight, and we would be open to whatever it is. Thank you. So um, I think this story, first of all, really shows how faith in Jesus, and those are the kids upstairs, they'll just keep, they'll just keep rumbling as they run around, um, and I'm so glad that we have space for them to do, to do that. Um, our old space that we used to worship in was wonderful too, but the kids' area was like, honestly, like the wall was like crumbling down, you remember that? And there were like mouse droppings all over the place so like I longed for a safer place for our kids to be and we have it now so I'll take the noise um I I this this story really reminded me this week like how how threatening how kind of um threatening our Christian faith is to the oppressive systems of the world um this story describes like the, the danger to the status quo so well that it was extracted from the slave Bible that was made um, for the people enslaved by the, by the people of the British West Indies 
It was carefully redacted, this whole story. No references to Moses, no burning bush, no Israelites fleeing slavery, no path through the Red Sea. That was all taken out of the text um, so that there would be no God who intervenes miraculously on behalf of the poor and needy. And, and it was gutted from the text to preserve the system of slavery so that enslaved people wouldn't see themselves in the Israelite struggle for liberation and wouldn't find strength in God's identification with the oppressed and, and be inspired by the triumph of faith in God over one of the most powerful regimes in the known world. The slaveholders feared that this story would plant the seeds of possibility and rebellion and freedom. And I think it, this story is powerful because it offers hope based on the nature and movement of God, of our God. It offers hope, and so remembering it is, is a spiritual act of resistance, and that's what we're doing here tonight. The Passover, if we could have that first slide, Karina, thank you. The Passover, um, the word Passover literally means leaving or emerging from a narrow place. And the Israelite people in Egypt, as you, as you probably know, they lived in a very narrow place in terms of what they were suffering under um, for over 400 years they were enslaved by the Egyptian people. And so none of 400 years means nobody alive remembered what it was like to, to be free, to have, you know, to be treated in the fullness of their humanity and not subjected to grueling labor that um, exhausted them and demoralized them. So by the time... Moses comes on the scene and we read this story um, in the text. These people are, are tired. They have been, um, they are tired, I think, in body and in spirit. They, were, they, they felt tired and broken. And so God calls a leader out of hiding in the desert. Um, if you remember, Moses was, was out there trying to you know, recover from his own trauma and um, get over it. And God convinces him to return and bring his people out of slavery. I think he, it was already in his heart to do this, but he was kind of trying to avoid it. He didn't think he could convince the king of Egypt to let his people go. And he couldn't. He really needed divine help from God. And so God comes in to help Moses, of course, and sends all these plagues upon Egypt to try to awaken the Pharaoh's consciousness to, to the abuse and the oppression that he was um, inflicting on the Hebrew people. But it didn't work. Pharaoh was so um, attached to his wealth and power that he was getting out of the Hebrew labor if you look at the pyramids, you can kind of get a picture of the glory that the, the Pharaoh was creating um, for himself. Pretty impressive. And I think he might not have been able to create 
such monumental structures without this kind of slave labor. And so he wouldn't let the Hebrew people go. And so finally God says, I'm going to try one more thing to move Pharaoh's heart. And um, he said through Moses to the Hebrew people, if, if you trust in me, I want you to take a lamb and, and kill it and put the blood on your doorframe of your house so that death will pass over your house and it won't come to you. And, and you should eat the meat of this lamb with bread made without yeast because you don't have time to, to, to let the bread rise. You need to be, be ready to leave the country in the middle of the night. Um, and that was the first communion meal, by the way. That's why we keep coming to this table of remembrance because God was saying to these people, if you trust in me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a way for you to escape death. It won't come to you and I'm going to make a way for you to be fully liberated. Um, and of course, you know, this is the Passover meal. That, so that was the invention of Passover, the emergence from the narrow place. And that's the meal where hundreds of years later, Jesus says to his friends, I am this lamb. I am this lamb now that you can eat. It's my body and blood that protects you for, from death forever. And so the people did as God instructed them through Moses. In the middle of the night, um, the Pharaoh's own firstborn son died, and all the firstborn sons in Egypt who didn't have this, this blood around their doorways. And so Pharaoh finally relented, and he said, okay, get out of here. You got, I've had enough. And so a few million people left their homes and exited the country of Egypt together, where they had been enslaved for over 400 years. And it was an epic moment, full of hope, full of trust in God, full of fear of the unknown. Thanks, Karina. As they, they step out into the desert wilderness with their few belongings that they can carry. Hey, Pear. It really does remind me, remind me of the journey um, that Harriet Tubman invited many hundreds of enslaved people on from the south to the northern parts of the country. And no wonder she was called Moses because this walk out of slavery was not, was a walk into the dangerous unknown. It was not um, an easy walk to freedom. And so the Hebrew people travel through the desert, you know, away from Egypt, just as Pharaoh changes his mind and, and starts coming after them with 600 chariots, were, which were like the latest in military invention. And so the Hebrew people find, you know, they're already exhausted from 400 years of slavery and they, they find themselves in this really scary place um, this pretty impossible place on the beach of the Red Sea there um, between this giant body of water and they were, not, they were not seafaring people and the Egyptian army coming behind them coming after them and they're scared they don't know what to do uh, they feel trapped 
and I think I think the walk to liberation is often like that too. But God's spirit has been leading them forward at the front, and now and this is one of my favorite parts of the story. Um, when they're on the beach, there, they, uh, oh, not yet, not yet, Karina. Thanks. They, when they're on the beach, there, God, you know, God's spirit has been leading them in the front with a cloud, and 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 God in the cloud, the the story goes, goes to the back and goes behind them, and is like a shield from the Egyptian army. The Egyptian army can't see exactly where they are. And then the text says that God, God sends a, a strong east wind to blow all through the night. And I read this fascinating like um, take from scientists on, on this story, too, where, where um, these scientists were explaining how this, this actually could have, could have happened um, with some hurricane-like winds. But... Um, and I certainly believe it did. But we get this picture of, of the sea actually um, parting. And um, after all night of this wind blowing, there was a path in the middle of the sea where the people could walk across on dry land. And um, as you probably know, the Egyptian army came in after them and drowned in the walls of water that collapsed back on them as the, as the sea returned to its regular form. It was an amazing moment of miraculous provision. I love the, the paintings especially that get really dramatic about like these walls of water um, that I think you know, metaphorically kind of show the magnitude of what the people were up against in this moment. In this moment. Um, so there's a lot I think we can glean from this story uh, for us today, like, like Sony was saying, because we have all, we have all been through some kind of oppression and we can look around the world and see that many groups over others are still in it, um, and all that we continue to face today, as a as a body of of God seekers, the first um, the first thing I want to highlight from the story is that God sees God sees what's happening. God sees everything that people are going through, especially how people are suffering. Those whose backs are up against the wall, as Howard Thurman would say. God hears the cries of the people, of children, of creation, calling out for help. This is a big theme through the Bible and around this story in particular. Um, it's, it's how God finally convinced Moses to come out of the desert and and return to Egypt, he said. I'm I I can't stand hearing. I'm I'm hearing the cries of my people. I'm seeing what they're going through. And Moses, like, I need you to care too. I need you to care. Um, I need you to hear and see what people are experiencing too. And um, this is the nature of our God, that He sees, that God sees and cares, and I. 
and, and God cares and sees what we're going through today, the pandemic, not just the physical illness and death, um, but the effects of isolation that we see that you probably are still experiencing in your life on some level. And I, and I, in talking to some teacher friends this week, I was realizing like we really see it um, in, in young people. Um, increased anxiety, depression, suicidal ideation. God sees the violence against black and brown bodies, the cry for safety. God hears the cries of the earth against overconsumption and climate change. The areas most affected by the recent storms, um, like the lack the lack of in infrastructure in Puerto Rico that we, uh, the media seemed to forget about as soon as Florida was hit. God sees the suffering of those addicted to drugs and alcohol. Some of our friends under the L right now. God sees the people of Ukraine undergoing these, these Holocaust-like um, conditions while the world doesn't really know how to stop Putin. God sees the, the father of four, our, our friend who was picked up by ICE this week. Um, he had been helping us in our, in our immigration work. We're connected with a group called uh, the New Sanctuary Movement, and he, we only had one day to have a prayer vigil for him. He was um, deported in one day. Uh, and is the sole provider for his family. God also sees our addiction to guns in this country. Sorry, I'm kind of, go, I'm kind of going through a list because I, I know you guys feel this stuff. Um, we lost another child to gun violence here in Philly this week. Um, he, the 14-year-old who, was, who was killed was um, in my friend's classroom, was a child in that classroom. Uh, and it was just, you know, random after a football scrimmage in Roxborough. And before that, a young man who um, are in our temple cell, we were, we were weeping this week for a young man who was killed around Drexel last week who was good friends with, with some of us in that cell. God sees and hears our cries. God sees and hears the cries of the suffering. And that, that is really what this story is about. And, and then, as we most fully see in Jesus, God intervenes. And that's, I think, the second thing we get. We get by remembering this story that God intervenes. God is active in the world, not just a passive viewer of all this suffering, but God is committed to doing something about it, showing up especially on behalf of the poor and needy. Not always in our timing or in our way, right? But I think this story shows us that, at, that any moment can be the inflection point between oppression and liberation. Not just, you know, liberation theology comes from this story because it's a, uh, you know, theology is the study of the nature of God. 
So that's what we get in this story, that God is an active, an active caring movement in the world, not just watching the disaster and the destruction, but doing something about it. Um, not just with a preferential option for the poor, as, as the theologians often say, but I think with an assertive demand for liberation. God has a vision for abundant life for, for everybody, independence on God and each other. And God's spirit doesn't seem to be resting in the world until this is achieved, until we get there. And I, and I know you know we're, we're part of that movement because uh, we feel it. I, feel, I think we feel the, the, uh, the compulsion to not rest either. So I love this clip um, from the Exodus movie with Christian Bale as Moses. Mabel and I are big fans of Christian Bale. I don't know if, I don't know if you're on Zoom right now, Mabel, but this is for you. Um, but God shows up in this movie as a child, which I think is really cool. Um, and here in this scene, Mo, this isn't really biblical. This is this is like Hollywood, but I think it's um, I think it's kind of relatable to how we deal with things. You know, Moses. They have Moses like trying to put together um, a little like military action, a little military like army of resi- resistance among the Hebrews, like before they get out of Egypt. And um, God comes to Moses and is just like, stop, just watch me. Stop all your, stop all your, whatever you're trying to do and just watch me work. Thanks, Karina. you been watching you fail wars of attrition take time at this rate it'll take years a generation i am prepared to fight for that long i'm not i thought we were making progress now you're impatient after 400 years of slavery Am I the only one sitting here who's done nothing about this until now? I do know a few things about military action still. If you're not going to listen to me, then why did you take me away from my family? I didn't. You did. You don't need me. Maybe not. So what do I do? Nothing. For now. You can watch. Thanks, Karina. Um, obviously, it's inspiring to think about watching God work, and I think that is what we get to do um, in partnership with God. And I think it's also, this clip is also really relatable to me because I think in, in our struggle for the liberation of the world, it's tempting to feel overwhelmed and re, to react in all kinds of ways and to try all kinds of things like they have Moses doing. 
um, and to be essentially afraid that nobody is ever really going to come to the rescue. And so this story reminds me that we're invited to stay in conversation with God in this struggle, with God who is moving on our behalf. And that, um, that leads me to the final uh, point here. God, in this conversation with God, God does keep moving. And I think God keeps moving most powerfully through his body, through those people, those regular people like us who are seeking all over the world. And they might not even call themselves Jesus followers. But Jesus said, you, he said to his disciples before he ascended, you're going to do even greater things than me. And I've always wondered how in that, how in the world could that be true? If, I mean, the son of God says that, who, who, who had victory over sin and death, the great liberator, how could he say to us, we will do greater things than him? I think it only happens by coming together, by working collectively as a body. And so the apostles talk about a body of Christ at work in the world that, that, that completes the work of Jesus, the hands and feet, all the different parts of a body. None of us could be the whole body in and of ourselves. We actually need each other to, to, to be a body and to do this collective work. As I was, um, as I was thinking about that, um, I think uh, a relatable a place in the story that um, where we might get kind of jammed up is is uh, from from being from being a body <laughs> is uh, I'm thinking about that moment on the beach where where the Hebrew people are they actually start saying to Moses. We shouldn't. We should have never left Egypt. Like, we should have. You you brought us out here to die. Um, They couldn't. They couldn't see. It it felt so scary that they couldn't see like where how God was going to make a way in this moment. And um, I I think that's a that's a place that we might often find ourselves too. And I'm I'm speaking mostly for myself because I my that my last name my, is Demara, and it means by the sea. So I was really thinking, oh man, I'm always on that beach in that place of like needing divine, needing divine intervention. And I think, I think the invitation I, in this story is to keep seeing ourselves there in that vulnerable place, even as a body of Christ where we need, we can't do this alone. We can't even do it just with each other. We need the, the, ins, the literal inspiration of God, the breath of God, to blow and make that path for us that we can walk on. I think there's moments, uh, there's moments too when we need to reckon with the little bit of Pharaoh in, in all of us, um, his character, 
Like, what do we do when we don't get our way? Do we feel entitled to hang on to power and privilege um, that, may be, that may not belong to us, that may be hurting others or the earth? Is there a Moses in our lives trying to tell us to let go before it kills us? I think Pharaoh's biggest problem was that he thought he was God, you know, trying to control everything, trying to have everything. Um, and I think that's a real, that um, posture is a real temptation, in, in an, in, especially in an individualistic culture like ours. Um, so I think the way, the way um, that we stay out of uh, that fear of, uh, of going, back to, going back to Egypt, going back to whatever enslaved us, is by coming together as a collective, um, looking to God together to save us. Um, and I, I just want to leave you with the note there on that beach. It can be an uncomfortable, confusing messy place to be. But I wonder if we just don't know the abundant good that is coming. Uh, my spiritual director told me this week, a lot is being asked of you right now, but more will be given. More will be given than what is being asked. And I, I think that's true for every God seeker. More, more will be given. More than we can even imagine um, together. So can we stay open to the more of the Spirit? Could we imagine what joy and peace and freedom could multiply among us as we seek to share it, as we make these places of belonging in our cell groups, as we share our resources in the common fund, as we make compassion teams according to the areas of our callings and passion, these, these are really making a difference in the world. Even as we gather together, like in, in person, it, the gathering helps us to remember, helps us to have hope, and that is an act of spiritual resistance, our coming together as a body. It kind of, it kind of has an exponential multiplication factor. Um, this thing that happens through connection and together, togetherness around Jesus, the, the liberator. So let me pray for us again. Jesus, um, we are inspired by your movement in the past, and we are wondering how you would like to move how you, how you would like your body to keep moving in the future. And like those people on the beach, we, we ask that you would show us. Thank you for the gift of togetherness. Thank you for the gift of your spirit that does protect and guide and make a way even through the most impossible situations. So I pray that you would help us to keep, um, to stay there with you and to move with you, not to, not to look back at what we left and return to the things that, that keep us 
in bondage, but to keep moving into the future with you. Show us how to do that, Lord, as a church, as, as individuals, as seekers of you in the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected, visit circleofhope.church. You can also find us on Instagram or Facebook at circleofhopenet.com.